have a word of prayer. Then we'll read verses 8 through 13. And we'll pick up where we left off last week. Father, behold what manner of love you have shown us. And Father, as I read this text, as we we draw upon your word, we understand um, the importance of your love in our hearts. And Father, we love. Father, as you loved us. And Lord, I just ask now that uh, you open our eyes. You open our ears. And Father, you teach. Lord, that uh, we draw deeply, deeply from your word. And Father, we may be vessels, vessels of honor, vessels of glory to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us, Lord. Help us to love first and foremost. And Father, may in, in that love we be overwhelmed. We will not walk in a manner worthy to you, to your glory, to your exaltation. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 8, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial shall will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but when face to face, now I know in part, then I know but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now, faith, hope, love abide in these three. But the greatest of these is love. All right, what we're looking at is basically love is the only permanent thing. And the Apostle Paul is dealing with a church who has an obsession with spiritual gifts. Uh, you see it today, and it's growing, um, and um, it, it is really kind of amazing if you really want to be truthful about it. But what the Apostle Paul is basically telling us is that spiritual gifts are temporary. They are temporary. Um, and yet, in the time of the writing of this letter to the Corinthians, as today, you have people, true saved people, that I call spiritual show-offs. Uh, they want to. They want their spirituality to be seen. Let me show you. Let me tell you how spiritual that I am. Um, and so the apostle Paul does a contrast here. He takes love and he contrasts it to three prominent gifts. The three gifts are prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. Now understand the word tongues when I speak of tongues. Okay, I'm not talking about some ecstatic babble. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the supernaturally empowering to speak a language that is not yours. All right, uh, Acts chapter two lays it out really clearly that when the Spirit came upon these men, they had the ability to speak a language that was not their native tongues. All right, so that's what I want you to understand. But when I look at these three in verse eight. 
I only see two verbs. All right? Two verbs. Prophecy and knowledge have the same verb. And then tongues has another verb that is used. All right? What happens is uh, in, in the, the body of Christ, um, and, and you can see it because of multiple reasons, but the thing I think is the greatest uh, when he says love does not seek its own in verse 5 um, is that men and women in the church stop serving. And basically it's self. Um, I mean, even the writer of Hebrews says, don't grow weary of doing good. And, and if you've been in church very long, you know that there's times when you just get tired of it. All right. Um, but here he's saying in chapter 13, love is permanent. Love never fails. If that is true, which we've been looking at, it is true. Then we understand what the emphasis is. He's already showed us you can have spiritual gifts. And if you use them outside of love, it's useless. It has absolutely no benefit to it. And, and he does that in the first three verses. He even says you can give everything away. You can even lay yourself down as a martyr. And if you do it without love, it is a waste of your time. Uh, that's an amazing, uh, just an amazing thought when you really kind of grasp it. Okay, but as with the church in Corinth, I see it today. Um, there's an emphasis on gifts. And yet in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And yet if you look at the body of Christ today, um, to say she's ignorant would be the, an understatement. And yet I'm, I try to understand that I have this huge emphasis on gifts and yet we're clueless about gifts. And, and, and it, it's, it don't seem to fit. And part of the reason uh, I, I think is an underlying reason uh, in this letter, uh, you have 16 chapters and you have no mention of an elder, a leader or anything in leadership. Nothing. Worship, just basically they came together and, and we're going to let the Holy Spirit do his thing. And, and, and we're just going to see what happens. Um, and, and basically in chapter 14, he says, you need to be orderly. You, you can't do that. You can't be chaotic. Uh, and, you know, there, yeah, there's a, a time in the worship time when the church is gathered together that you, there's room for spontaneity. But for the most part, it should be organized. It should be very, um, I don't want to use the word orchestrated, but yeah, but you need to have a purpose in it. What, what, what are you coming together for? Um, and, and I've seen God do, when in Russia, when you preach on a Sunday, you usually have three sermons. Um, you, three different people get up and preach. Uh, and what is amazing is, I have done this, I don't know how many times now, but I watched three different people, me being one of them, all slide into a position to preach. None of us have communicated to each other. You know, I'm going to teach on this, or I'm going to teach on that, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. And yet all three sermons tie together. That is part of the Holy Spirit working. 
And, and, and I've seen that time in and time out. It just, you just sit there and go, wow, this is amazing. Okay, and, and, but, but if even that, you look at it, there is a time and an organization that takes place. But I do see a struggle in the body of Christ today that was dealt with in this letter that um, this emphasis on gifts um, can get you into trouble. And um, so where were the leadership and why is everybody fighting for prominence? All right, and I see that around today. All right, without a whole lot of theological understanding, you can look at verse 8 and see that prophecies will be done away with, tongues will cease, and knowledge will be done away with. All right, so he gives three preeminent gifts. And he says, guess what? It's very clear here. They're going to end. Very clear. You do not have to be a theologian. You do not have to be a Greek scholar to say, ah, he says it's going to stop. Okay, next question. When? When will they stop? Listen, I know when, and all I need to do is get you all to agree with me. No worries. Listen, I don't believe it's this difficult. Why? Chapter 12, verse 1. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I don't want you to be interested. All right, there's two ignorant about this. There's two verbs here, kategeo and pao. Okay, the first and third verb are kategeo. The second verb is pao. All right, and it cut um, uh, the ghetto means to be made inoperative. Uh, it's active, okay, uh, or, or it's passive. One versus the verbs in verse with prophecy and the verb with knowledge are passive, meaning that something will act upon the subject to stop it. Something's going to happen. Well, what is it? Verse ten: When the perfect comes. Then he uses the same verb. The partial will what? Be done away with. All right. Well, how do I know it's that? Well, look what it says in 9. We know in part, we prophesy in part, which are two gifts. Knowledge and... All right. But the word pao is active middle voice, meaning that it will stop by itself. Okay. It literally means um, when it is completed... When it is finished, when it has accomplished what it was for, it will stop by itself. You don't need it no more. Why? It accomplished what it was for. All right? Now then, I want us to keep in mind 12.1. 12.1, he ain't writing this to say, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, but I'm not telling you. That ain't how he does it. He's writing this. And I guess the thing that I have to ask that from me, my, the way my brain is wired, um, what do I need as a Christian here today, whether I was living, say, 58 AD or not, yeah, about that, uh, at the writing mid-50s for the first letter to the Corinthians or in 2000, what do I need and why do I need it? Okay, now listen, I'm going to go back to languages. 
All right. And, and I, I've got six reasons that I believe that the Bible teaches languages has ceased. And I'm only going to give you three today. All right. But I have six reasons. All right. First reason. Tongues, languages, is a miracle gift. Is a miracle gift. All right? It's miraculous. All right? I do not have the gift of languages. All right? If you do not believe me, you should come and watch me try to speak Russian when I'm in Russia. And the Russians all sit there and go, okay? And they have little nuances that I don't pick up on and... Um, I, I'm, it's even worse than being a hillbilly Russian. Um, you know, you have a accent. No, you're butchering the language. <laughs> All right. Something about praising God in the toilet or something is what you said, and you were close. Okay. Now, listen, first thing I want you to understand, I not saying that God doesn't do miracles. I want you to be I don't want you walking out here and saying, well, Terry doesn't believe God does miracles. All right. I believe God does miracles. I believe God does whatever God wants to do whenever God wants to do it in spite of us. Okay. I I want you to understand that first and foremost. But if I'm true to scripture, I will find that there are only three periods where God does miracles. Okay, now, I want to be explicit about miracles. All right? I'm not talking about one leg shorter than the other, or you got a headache or a backache. Or I'm talking when God intervenes into the natural on a supernatural level. Okay? One of the greatest miracles that exists on the planet Earth today is when a soul is regenerate, when a person comes to salvation. There is no greater miracle. Okay, but if you're truly honest with Scripture, when God intervening through human vessels to do miracles three times, Moses to Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, Christ and the apostles, you don't see it. All right. Each period of the three periods is about 70 years. And in between each of these periods of miraculous intervention is between 500 and 1,000 years. All right? So you have these huge masses of time when miracles just aren't happening. I mean, you may have like an axe head float. But you don't have this divine intervention um, where he takes a human being, a human agent, and just starts doing miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. You don't have it. And you see three, three stretches, and both of them, or all three, are about 70 years. That's biblical. Please understand that. All right? Um, and, and again... When I talk about miracles, I'm talking about divine intervention. I'm I'm not talking about, um, you know, he went in and and he got diagnosed with cancer and he got radiation and chemo and it's in remission. It's a miracle. No, that ain't a miracle. That's radiation and chemotherapy killed the tumor. 
That's not hard. I don't have no problem with that. Now listen, the fact that we have the ability, that's kind of wild. Okay, when I think of that in the average car today, the computer system of the car dwarfs the Apollo program. Whoa. Okay, but it's not miraculous. It is just technology we keep doing. You know, I keep thinking about them taking a vein out of your butt and sewing it in your heart. Okay, that's, that's a trip. Uh, my wife uh, had a cesarean section, and, and they do this thing where, you know, and I had to go in the room. I don't know still who thought that plan up. But anyway, um, go in the room. I thought you were supposed to wait with a cigar outside. So I'm like, this is a boy. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, you know, I'm sitting here talking to my wife, and, and she's just sitting there, and they got this gown thing over and and this board. And I go over and look on this side, and they're gutting her. And I look on this side, and she's just sitting there laughing. I said, do you feel like that? Oh, no, a little tugging is all. And you just go, dude, you did. And now, if, that, I look at that and go, whoa, that's some serious stuff going on there. But it's not a miracle. It's not a miracle. All right? D- don't get me wrong. I mean... I believe in miracles. Uh, my wife had that thing with her eyes, and now she doesn't have to wear glasses. She wore glasses all of her life. Uh, and then she realized she was old, and she's going to have to wear glasses anyway. <laughs> and <laughs> See, that wasn't a miracle. <laughs> all right? So when I talk about miracles, we throw it around a lot. Well, that's a miracle. Okay? Um, no, not really. Okay? Um, listen. I can summarize the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, by one phrase. Okay? The righteous shall live by faith. If you have to have miracles, how strong is your faith? Okay? But God's standard was there are times, three times, that he intervened for his purposes. All right? Because he wanted it to be seen as I'm doing it. It's like Exodus. We're studying Exodus on Saturday nights. There's no doubt in anybody's mind God did that. The Jews didn't conspire together to turn all of the water into blood. Okay? The Jews didn't conspire together to make three days of dark. I mean, you just looked at it and said, that's God. Why? You don't have another answer for it. That's the kind of stuff that I want us to think about. So with that, I want you to move over to Hebrews chapter 6. Um, and we'll pick it up in verse 5. Um, there's a lot of implications here, but I, I want us to see this because this is an amazing letter. All right, this is an amazing letter. <clears throat> verse 4 says, For in the case of those who have been, who have once been enlightened, past tense, have tasted, past tense, of the heavenly gift, have been partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the power, the what? 
The power is literally the miracle, the power, the dunamis of the age to come. And then they've fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Okay? What you see with Christ and the apostles, and I'm talking about the capital A apostles, okay? What you see with those men is that they had the ability to do miracles, healings, languages. Why? It is a taste of what? The age to come. What is the age to come? Kingdom of God. Okay? You who are saved today are in the sphere of the kingdom of God. But let's be realistic. This is not the kingdom of God. All right? But we, these people, he's talking to these Hebrews. He says, in this age to come. Okay, now I, I get people keep telling me, so, well, that's the church age. No, it ain't. It ain't the church age. Why? Because he keeps telling the church age... Look to what? The age to come. What is that? The kingdom. The kingdom. All right? So we get glimpses of what is the kingdom like. There is no death. There is no disease. There's no demons. You can do weird stuff like walk on water. Okay? You can go through walls after eating a snack. I think that's going to be a blast. Okay, you can go travel great expanses, and I don't understand that at all. You know, he told the thief, "You'll be with me in paradise." Where's that? That's on the other side of creation. Well, you're going to be like hurrying, yeah, something like hurrying. Okay, so it's the kingdom. There are certain times in God's redemptive history that He lets some of the character of the coming kingdom leak out. Get little glimpses. I like that. Little taste. Little taste. And what he says here, that if you've had past tense, these little tastes, these little glimpses, and you don't come, you can't be saved. You can't be saved. Listen, in the New Testament... The last recorded miracle, okay, 58 A.D., 58 A.D., okay, 96-ish, John finished Revelations and his three little letters. Okay, you know what's amazing? After 58, there's no record of miracle gifts being exercised. You don't see it. I'm talking about miraculous gifts. I'm talking about healing, power over demons, languages. That's the kind of gifts I'm talking about. Water to wine, that kind of stuff. All right? So God's design, if you're honest with Scripture, the 66 books of Scripture, you will see that these miracle interventions were done first to confirm His Word. This man is speaking for me. Did it with Moses, Elijah, Joshua, Christ, the apostles. And the second thing you see with these miracle ages is that he is the calling of Israel. 
the chosen nation. And he's basically offering the kingdom. And he gives Israel what? A taste of the kingdom. This is what the kingdom is like. So that is God's design when you look at what I call the miraculous gifts, the supernatural. That's why in Hebrews 6, he says, if you turn your back, there's no hope for you. Okay, look at Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 3. The the thought comes out of verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. What is amazing about that? Okay? The verbs are all past tense. He's speaking to Jews who are on the fence. He's speaking to Jews who have come to a head knowledge. And he says, how are you going to escape if the angels didn't escape? And it was begun how? Past tense. Spoken by the Lord. Salvation was first spoken by the Lord. Okay, but then it was confirmed to us, testified to us by those who heard. It was confirmed by the apostles. How was it confirmed? You know, they used to try to get into Peter's shadow because they could be healed by his shadow. I'm thinking that that's a miracle. What do you think? And that says, who's Peter working for? See, the gospel is already confirmed, verse 4. Testifying by them both signs and wonders and by various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Now then, what's the issue that I'm trying to get at here? Do you know when the book of Hebrews was written? Mid-60s. You know what he's saying? It's past tense. It has already been past tense confirmed. We've already seen it. It was first spoken and then it was confirmed. How did God confirm it? Through the apostles, through his messengers. I've confirmed it. Okay, so when I look at that, I look at it in, 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 in Hebrews 2 and in Hebrews 6 that the writer of Hebrews is saying, I don't even need it. Why? It's already confirmed. I already understand it. I don't need signs and wonders. And he uses the illustration between the angels and the apostles. He says, if the angels have already confirmed it and said that this is the word of God, and we have seen it confirmed by Jesus Christ speaking and his apostles, then I don't need no signs. You don't have to do a trick 
don't have to do a miracle to prove it. All right? So that's the first reason that I believe it has ceased. Why? I don't need miracles to confirm the Word of God. I have the Word of God. All right? Second reason. Chapter 14, 1 Corinthians. I touched on this conclusion last week's message. I'm going to touch on it again. <clears throat> the gift of languages. Okay. What is it? What's it for? All right. In the law it is written, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me. Now stop right there. He quotes Isaiah 28 verse 11. All right. And basically what he's saying is, okay, you have to understand what Isaiah is writing about. Isaiah is speaking to the 10 northern tribes, which is called Israel. All right. And Isaiah is telling them, if you don't stop what you're doing, basically what Israel, the 10 northern tribes were doing, they, they quit worshiping down in Jerusalem. They were worshiping up in the hills where the tribe of Dan hung out. They had their own little priest's line. They had their own little pagan thing going on. They had their own little offerings and they were doing their own things. And God says, you can't do that. And he said, if you do not come back to me, I will bring one of the most vile groups of people upon you that you have ever seen and they will take you into captivity. Captivity. That's the Assyrians. Okay, and the Assyrians are nasty. And he says, if you don't come back, then I will judge you by the lips of a language you don't understand and by the tongues of people you don't understand. You know what happened, right? They went into captivity. Okay, that was it, it, that has an awesome picture to it because who did Jonah was Jonah supposed to go talk to? Nineveh. You know what the capital of Nineveh? What country? Assyrians, and they didn't like the Jews, and the Jews really didn't like them, and that's why Jonah said, "I want to go tell them that you're going to judge them. I want you to judge them. <laughs> Hurry." Okay, you know, and I keep saying, I hear people telling me, well, Jonah was taking him to good news. God's judgment is not good news. And he, he wasn't going up saying, hey, you want to be saved? He said, no, <laughs> God's going to come. And anyway, that's a whole different message. All right. So when I read Isaiah text, the Isaiah 11, I understand that it is God saying, I'm preparing to judge you. I'm preparing to judge you. You're not listening to what I'm saying. So I will say it, but it'll be in a language now you can't hear it. You can't understand it. But it's still, I'm still telling you the truth. That's why he quotes it. So what's tongues for? God is saying, I have spoken to you in clear words. If you look at Jesus' ministry, first year and a half, he spoke very clearly who he was and what he was doing. All right, clear words. And he says, and you do not listen. You do not listen to my clear words. So I'm going to send you a sign to confirm your unbelief. I'm going to speak to you in a foreign language. 
I'm still going to tell you I'm judging you, but it will be a sign. You won't be able to understand. Israel, you will not understand that I have set you aside. See, listen, God offered them the kingdom. Remember when he rode into Jerusalem? Hosanna, David, they wanted him to be king. And yet they refused. They refused to believe to the point where they executed Messiah. And as a sign, what happened? He spoke to his people with other tongues and other lips. It's not hard to see. When is the first time you see tongues? The upper room. Pentecost. Where are they? Jerusalem. Jesus is the last part of his ministry. He never publicly explained his parables. He always explained them to his disciples in private. Why? They concluded he was doing everything by Beelzebub. I mean, that gives a whole new meaning to a hard heart. Uh, yeah, that's it. I'm healing the dead and ra- raising the dead and, and, and I'm doing it by the power of Satan. Okay, here's another verse that is overlooked. Look at verse 22, chapter 14. So then, tongues, languages are a sign. Okay, cool. It's a sign of God's judgment on Israel. Look what it says. Next, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Got that? Listen, if I walk into Russia right now, and I start preaching the gospel, unless they know English, what benefit is that? None. And yet, they would have been exposed to the gospel. Right? Therefore, it is judgment. That is judgment. Listen, tongues is not for believers. It is a sign unto Israel. It is a sign of their, un, their, their rebellion. It is a sign that they, the covenant was laid before them and they refused it. Okay. Then, the question is, if God's judgment has already fallen on Israel, then the gift of languages has no significance. Correct? Because it is warning God's judgment to them, right? God's going to judge them. And if God's judgment has come upon them, then what is the need of the gift? Anybody know what Titus Vespasian did in 70 AD? 1.1 million Jews he killed. Okay, you know what's really scary about that? 70 AD, Judaism for all intent came to an end. The Jewish religion ceased in 70 AD. 
Okay? So what would be the need of tongues? I'm thinking 70 AD classifies pretty clearly God's judgment. I mean, he destroyed the temple. And it was a house of prayer. Jesus cherished the house of prayer. There could no longer be a sacrifice given for sin. And there was not. Even today, you can't. Is that judgment? Okay. Third reason. Um, That I believe that tongues ceased. And if you haven't figured it out, I believe 70 AD is when it ceased. Um, Third reason is tongues is inferior to prophecy. Okay? The only time edification can take place with tongues is if there's someone there to interpret. Chapter 14 says you must always interpret. If you do not interpret, then be quiet. Okay? Because the uninterpreted is a sign of judgment against Israel. Okay? And it would be interpreted, it would have some edifying abilities and qualities for a believer. Someone could interpret it for me. Okay? But let's be realistic. The main purpose for tongues is not for edification. The main purpose of tongues is judgment. And yet, with someone to interpret it, you have a, a now an ability to actually edify some of the believers. Right? But once Israel has been judged, the purpose of tongues has ceased. Well, but wait a minute. Here's the argument. It does have edification capabilities. Yes, it does. As long as you have interpretation. Okay? So it's, it still remains because it's an edifying gift. Okay? Is it necessary? Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love. That comes right out of verse 13. Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Okay, we, we see, see that. But what does he say? But especially that you may prophesy. Prophesy. Verse 3 says, One who prophesies speaks to men for what? Edification, exhortation, and consolation. Verse 2 says, one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Oh, it's a prayer language. That ain't a prayer language. It's not what it says. When his disciple asked him how to teach us to pray, what did he say? Hala, 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 hala. No. Pray in this manner. When you read Jesus' prayer, John 17, can you read it? I can read it. When I read Paul's prayers, can I read them? Yep. I can read them. All right, here's what he says. No one understands his spirit speaks mysteries. See, his spirit doesn't even understand what he's saying. Okay? But the one who prophesies speaks for men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. All right? Listen, I, I, I just, I'll go quickly on this one. You take chapter 14. 
I'm going to give you this. This is kind of a rough thing that I'm working on right now. But chapter 14 basically proves the supremacy of prophecy over tongues. That's what chapter 14 is for. Chapter 14 verses 1 through 12, it says that tongues is inferior means of communication. Makes sense. Verses 13 through 19 says tongues is inferior method of praise. And verses 20 through 25 says it's an inferior method of evangelism. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I'd rather speak in a language and, and, and than all of the words that are unknown. Why? There's no interpretation. And he says the greatest thing you need to do is seek prophecy. Seek prophecy. Why? Tongues are inferior. All right? Listen, once the judgment to Israel... Then the sign element of the miracle, gift of tongues, is done. So the question, the single question I have to ask is, has the judgment, did God judge Israel? Yes, absolutely yes. So it was a sign, and is it needed now? Because the miracles and signs and wonders were for the confirming of what God said. And if you look at it in Hebrews chapter 6, all past tense verbs. It's already happened, past tense. Hebrews chapter 6 is written just before the conclusion, the fall of Jerusalem. Like I said, after 58, I don't see any miracles. I do see a few other things going on. So... It was a miracle gift and the miracle time is not necessary now. It was a judicial gift, God giving a sign of judgment against Israel. So the question is, has Israel been judged? And thirdly, it's inferior to prophecy. If I have the gift of prophecy, I have the ability to exhort, I have the ability to console, I have the ability to edify. Okay, So the purpose of edification is done better by prophecy. All right? That's the point of chapter 14. Okay. Three more reasons that I believe tongues has ceased. And we'll do those next week. Okay? Um, listen, people ask me, well, what is this that we see? Okay. Listen, I have some very dear friends who believe they have the gift of tongues. Okay. Orthodox people. Uh, one of them is Presbyterian. He's, he believes he has the gift of tongues. Okay. And people ask me, then, what is this? Two weeks, I'll get into that. I'll tell you what it is. All right. But when I just take a rational view of Scripture, do I need it? Do I need the gift of languages? I don't have a need for it. Why? I have the gift of prophecy. I love sitting around men who prophesy. It is a blast. Do I need it? So when did it cease? The judgment of Israel. No problem. And let's be realistic. 70 AD, Judaism as it was taught is gone. 
Okay? They, they don't have... Yom Kippur, they go and they do what in the temple? Nothing. That would cause World War Nine or something. Okay? They don't do nothing. And it's still that way. All right? I have friends who believe they have the gift of tongues. And people ask me, well, what do you think about that? I said, you know what? When I get opportunity, I bring Scripture to bear on it. But I can't sway them out of it. All right? If God opens their eyes to see it, then they see it. But I've got to be honest with you. I would rather see a person exercising a gift of tongues than the gift of gossip. I'd rather have some kind of something I don't understand than something I'm hearing and I understand it and think that's wrong. So, I have a slanted bias. Okay? The key is simple. The context is love. It's love. That's what we need to be paying attention to. I mean, I, I give you six reasons. I, mean, I don't need you guys running out beating the tar out of the charismatics of the Pentecostals. Okay? Well, put them in a headlock and I'm going to, you ain't going to believe what my preacher called you. Okay? And I'm going to say, you got the gift of gab. Anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I, I am so grateful that you don't hide it. But Father, you do encourage laboring of the text. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, uh, first and foremost for me, Lord. I just am so thankful, Lord, uh, that you have given me the privilege and, and the desire um, to dig to your book. Father, please never let that go far from me. Father, let that never, uh, even those days when your, your book hurts, Father, let me just be overwhelmed with your love and, and, and your word. And Father, as we walk from here today, Father, may we be overwhelmed by your love. And that, Father, that people would be able to look at us and say uh, that we are known by our love for one another. Uh, Father, that's the key. Father, uh, let us not seek our own. Let us seek you your kingdom, your righteousness. Father, I just praise you for this, for your word. Father, I praise you that um, you've made it clear. Father, I just pray that I didn't muddy it up. I pray that your spirit taught and that we can take this information, guard ourselves, and um, Father, it becomes our own. Father, we love you. We praise you for this time. We praise you for these beautiful people. Father, may we walk shoulder to shoulder until the, the perfect comes. In your praise, amen.